On January 20th, just a little over a week and a half ago, our state initiated a new lottery. And if you go to the Tennessee Lottery website, you'll find quotes such as this. Across the volunteer state, players are ready to win and support education with the Tennessee Lottery. You'll find one like this one. Everybody wins with the Tennessee Lottery, especially students and families. But you'll also find one like this. The purpose of the Tennessee Lottery is to raise funds for scholarships for Tennessee students. While the lottery is designed to be an affordable form of entertainment, we ask that players enjoy the game responsibly. With responsible play, everybody wins. That seems to be today's mantra when it comes to the lottery and activities like it. Oh, it's for a good cause. It's great fun. It's entertaining. As long as everybody replays responsibly, it's all right. That is certainly our world view of the lottery. And it's becoming more and more the Christian view of the lottery. My question is, should that be our view of playing this game? We need to remember 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, the Scripture says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible equips us for every good work. What does the Bible say regarding this new state lottery that we have? Does it equip us for this work, or does it not? Allow me to say as we begin that I understand the very dangerous ground upon which I am walking. I have learned over the past few years that the lottery and activities like it have become a hotbed for heated discussion and even division. There are folks who have come up with an opinion that basically their mindset is that no amount of Bible discussion is going to change what they already believe. There are folks who are so convinced that the lottery and activities like it are bad that even if I found a verse that said, Thou shalt play the Tennessee lottery, they wouldn't be faced with it. On the other hand, there are folks that are so convinced that it's harmless and okay that even if I found a verse that literally said, Thou shalt not play the Tennessee lottery, they would not be phased either. What I want to do this morning is just share with you, though, the life-changing power of the Scripture. Let's examine what God's Word says. And then let's learn what we should do as Christians with the lottery. The very first thing we need to do, though, is we need to just ask ourselves and be honest with ourselves and ask, what is the lottery? Here is what our lottery is. Our government wants more of our money. And that's all there is to it. Now, they say it's for education, but folks, we know. We know how our government works. They'll move things across that budget. They want our money. And so they said, how can we get more of their money? Well, somebody said, how about taxing them? We'll tell them it's for a good cause, for education and for scholarships. And they'll gladly give up more of their money in taxes. In fact, they might even give us a little bit more just out of the free will goodness of their heart. But then some brilliant lawmaker came to his senses and said, guys, don't count on that. How many of us would have voted for a tax increase for college scholarships? Probably not many. And so, 
Ah, we can't do taxes. Well, maybe they could do fundraisers. That works for the schools. How about let's sell cookies and cakes and, and stationery and wrapping paper? Well, of course, we realize the overhead on that would be too, too high. And could you imagine our senators and representatives of the state knocking doors with their little sheet saying, hey, we're raising funds for education? That's not going to work. And so why don't we just ask folks? Why don't we just get some free will donations and they'll give us more of their money freely because it's such a good cost. They're wanting to give their money away. Well, maybe some very wealthy folks would have given some money who had a soft spot in their heart for education or other governmental issues. But let's face it, we know and they knew that it's just not going to work that way. Free will offerings for this wouldn't sustain the amount of money that they really wanted and somebody came up with a great idea. I know what we'll do. We'll entice the populace of Tennessee by telling them, if you give us your money, we'll give you big sums of money if you win. And that's called a lottery. If you think about it, whoever came up with the idea of lottery is really pretty much a genius. He understood us and he understood our character and he recognized that we didn't want to give this money away. And so he couldn't just tax us or ask us for it. But he knew that if he would promise us just even a remote possibility of winning big money, that within one week, Tennesseans collectively would give them $41.3 million. You see, our government knows us. Our government understands us. Why does the lottery work? Brethren, let's be honest. The lottery does not work because scratch-off games are fun and entertaining. If that's why it works, then they wouldn't have to promise us prizes. We'd go spend money just to get to scratch the card, see if we get three in a row. The lottery does not work because we're so concerned about education and we want to support college scholarships. If that were the case, they could have taxed us and we'd have just given it to them freely. The lottery works because as Vince Jr., which is a screen name, wrote to LotteryPost.com, players want to be winners. And brethren, this is not just an idea of I like to win games. Listen, I'm as competitive as you get. You get me in a game of volleyball or even a game of Trivial Pursuit, even a game of checkers or tic-tac-toe, and I want to win. That's not what it's about with the lottery. Folks aren't wanting just, ooh, the joy of winning. They want to win because when we win at the lottery, we win big money. And that's what the lottery is. It's a system by which we feed our desire for money. It's about a desire to win big and get rich quick. And our government is sanctioning it. And frankly, they're raking in millions of our dollars because most of us, as T.T. Barnum said, are suckers. But what does the Bible say about it? For all the funny lines we can say and all the social things we can talk about and the political aspects behind this, that's not what we're really about. We want to know what does the Bible say. I am very well aware that despite my introduction to this sermon, I can't find thou shalt or thou shalt not play the Tennessee Lottery. I got on my computer and I searched through 12 different English translations of the Bible or the New Testament. And not one time could I even find the word lottery ever even used. I know that. Some people are willing to stop there and say, Oh, see, we need to speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent. It doesn't say anything about the lottery. And so we shouldn't say anything either. 
But brethren, even though it doesn't use the word lottery, the Bible does talk about the system we've just described. And while we could spend hours looking at passages and verses that deal with these issues, I just want us to look at three main verses. We'll have a few that go along with it, but three main verses that help us understand what we ought to do with the lottery. The very first is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning at verse 4, the scripture there says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the love that we're supposed to have for one another. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 44, Jesus said we're not only supposed to have this love for one another, we're supposed to have this love even for our enemies. I think we ought to have this love for our fellow Tennesseans. I want you to notice what this passage says. Love does not seek its own. And yet, brethren, let's be honest with ourselves. That's exactly what the lottery is all about. The lottery is all about me seeking my own. When I'm putting that money down on the gas station counter and they're pulling that little cardboard piece of paper out of that plastic box, what is, what's going on in my mind? Oh, I'm sitting there saying, boy, I sure hope I lose. Because I just want to give this money away for education. I hope somebody else wins. Is that what I'm thinking? Come on. We know what we're thinking. I want to win. And I hope lots of people have put money into this pot because I don't only want to win. I want to win big. What am I doing? I am seeking my own. God says we're supposed to love our fellow Tennesseans. And we shouldn't be involved in that kind of system. We're supposed to be seeking their welfare and their benefit. And this isn't about all the folks who might not play responsibly. This is about all the folks who might play serious. When I put that money on the table, I want their money. That's what it's about. Let's be honest. Second passage. We're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, the Bible says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful arts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith and their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Let's, let's keep reading here. I know it's not on the screen, but verse 11. But you, O man of God, flee these things, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience. Gentleness. How can we read that passage and believe that we can go put our money down on that gas station counter and buy the lottery ticket? What is the lottery? It's a system of discontent whereby our greatest desire is to get rich instantly, which betrays a love for money. All three of these things are condemned by this passage as we're told to be content. 
Don't love money. Don't desire wealth. But you see, we too often kind of by osmosis just gathered in that worldly mindset and said, oh, but it's just a couple of dollars. Oh, it's no big deal as long as everybody plays responsibly. You see, here's the problem, though. God points out this is dangerous. We're walking a dangerous line if we think we can play in a system of discontent, loving money, desiring to be rich, and still go to heaven. Someone would say, but yeah, Edwin, we all go to work in order to make money. And we want promotions in order to make more money. Brethren, if in your desire to provide for your family or to serve others or to be a good steward with what you've been given or seeking after your heart's desires, Ecclesiastes 11 talks about, if in all that God blesses you with great riches, more power to Remember what Paul said, though, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Remember that. But if you, brother or sister, are working because you love money, you're discontent, and you just want to get rich, then you're violating this passage too, just like the person that puts that money on the gas station counter. Yours may look more respectable. We may not be able to pinpoint it quite as easily. But this passage condemns the type of financial attitude that far too many in our world have. I just want to get rich, and I love money. I'm not content. Paul said, flee these things. One more passage. I know this didn't take him long this morning, but that's because this is really actually very simple despite all the complex things that folks have said about this. Let's look in Ephesians. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 3. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3, the Bible says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is sitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving a thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. I think this is the most powerful passage in the Bible that tells us we shouldn't play the lottery. Twice it condemns covetousness. It says that the one who covets is an idolater. It says that he doesn't have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. He even tells us, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Don't listen to their empty words trying to tell you you can covet a little bit. Because God's wrath comes upon this. You know, the big problem here is we tend to think in degrees. Just like with First Timothy chapter 6, well, as long as I don't really, really desire to get rich, as long as I don't really, really love money, well, then I'm all right. 
We think to ourselves, as long as my covetousness doesn't get to the point of idolatry, then I'm all right. You take a look at this passage. Is that what it says? It doesn't say, as long as covetousness doesn't get to the point of idolatry. What it says is covetousness, any amount of it, is idolatry. But see, we don't think of it like that. Covetousness is one of those minor sins, and it's not like we killed anybody or raped anybody. God says, though, it's idolatry. Look at the sins that he links it with in Romans chapter 1, verse 28. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 28, Paul said, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They're whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Who? Knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. What a list. God says covetousness is right in the middle of it and it's deserving of death. Notice what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Beginning in verse 9. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now, verse 11, 1 Corinthians 5, I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. God says those who covet are evil people, and we ought to put them away from ourselves. Congregations are supposed to exercise discipline for those who are covetous. That's how serious God says this is. But I know someone will say, yeah, but Edwin, what if I play the lottery without being covetous? Please, don't deceive yourself. The word covet, covetousness, or the covetous man, translates this word in the Greek, pleonexia. When you look up the definition for this word, you'll find, for instance, in Thayer's lexicon, one eager to have more, especially what belongs to others. You'll find in the clinic in Strong's the desire of increasing one's substance by appropriating that of others. Can you think of anything that fits this definition more than me going down to the gas station, putting one, two, or five dollars down on the counter so that I can have millions of my fellow Tennesseans' money? What is the lottery but an activity which embodies covetousness? that acts out the very definition of covetousness. No doubt, we might have dreams of generosity. We might say, no, this is not about me coveting. This is about all that I can do for everyone else, and it's really about generosity. But brethren, our dreams of generosity are somewhat weakened by the fact 
that in order to do it, I have to take money from millions of Tennesseans before I'll be generous to even one of them. This is a system of covetousness. We want other people's money. We don't want to pay them for it. We don't want to render services for it. They don't want to give it to us. Because remember, if they had wanted to give it away, our government could have just taxed them or asked for it. They didn't want to give it away. Certainly, they're willing to risk losing it in order to get your money, but they don't want to give it to you. You think they do? Go ask them. Just go ask them to give you 20 bucks every week. They don't want to give it to you. What's it all about? It's me saying I'm willing to risk a little bit of my money in order to appropriate for myself a whole bunch of everybody else's money. Look at that definition again. What's that called in the Bible? Coveting. Oh, but it's harmless. It's just a little thing. That's what our world says. But God doesn't call it a little thing. And we're supposed to think like God, not like our world. Brethren, you tell me. You look at these passages. What should we do with the water? I think we should do what Ephesians 5, 3 says. Let it not even be named among you. And I think we should do what 1 Corinthians 5 says. Don't keep company with anyone named a brother who is covenant. That's what God says. And it's time we quit deceiving ourselves with empty words because this is about our souls. This isn't about politics. This isn't about social policy. This isn't about a few bucks and whether or not you can afford it. This is about our souls and us feeding a love for money and covetousness. And God said, don't even let it be named among you. Whether you name it covetousness or you call it lottery. This is what it is. God said, don't do it. And so, next time you go down to the gas station or the grocery store, or catch DVD and video, or any other other place that says, we have lottery. Buy your gas. Go buy a Coke. Don't even look at that lottery box. Because it shouldn't even be named among us. Would you pull out your phone book, please? 